Okay, so if you could stand in honor of God's word, we are going to read from the book of 2 Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near." I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for for this scripture passage and that we can know you through the words of Paul to Timothy. And these are his last words. And so, God, would you speak into our hearts this morning. If there is something for, for somebody this morning to grab a hold of, actually, it would be me first. But let it be somebody else in this audience as well, God. Would you divide right from wrong and really lay on our hearts what it means to follow you all the way to the end? Thank you, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. And I think, do I need to troubleshoot my sound? Okay, I'm okay because I've got a little feedback. That's okay? Okay, you'll get it. Okay, I'm just going to play around with this a little bit. First service was sweet, but then I don't know if you guys saw. Okay, I was up there for a little bit. I can't go in the water with this? Okay. <clears throat> All right, so, so my name's Jason, and I like to run. So when I was asked to preach, which is very rarely, but I was excited about it because as I was running, well, I guess I talk downstairs every Sunday, but it's different when you're up here. Church got busy I didn't know there was this many people in seconds. I need to come up more often. Um, <clears throat> but so I, I run, and I w- I've been training for a marathon, the Madison Marathon in November. And as I've been running, I've been listening to these podcasts, and I've been worshiping the Lord. And, and I felt like he really called me to talk to you guys about a race, about the race, the most important race that you can run in your life. And this race is very complex. Our lives are very complex. There's a lot of things that happen from when we start to when we finish. It can be very treacherous. So Paul is in jail. He's writing this note to Timothy. And Timothy is like his disciple. His, his, he is mentoring Timothy and he is writing this letter. And this is his last, his last letter of the, of the Old Testament or the New Testament. Okay, get the right book. The last letter of the New Testament that Paul wrote, and it's right before he's going to be martyred. And so last words are very important. Last words are super important. So I wanted to take a look at this book and really pull it apart. And what I noticed was he talks a lot about the last days, a lot about what society is like during the time of his writing this letter. And he writes this letter as if he's in the last days because he is expecting Jesus to return within his lifetime. 
Well, 2,000 later, years later, we can read this and know that Jesus still has not returned, but we can expect him to come back just like Paul did. But here's the last days. I want to read a few scriptures, and I want you to see if any of this applies to today's world. So let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's why I have kids' church. Uh, Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control of gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And Jesus himself talks about the last days in Matthew 24, 10. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So we're in this race. We're in this race of life. And it's treacherous. There are a lot of people loving money, loving themselves, and we are trying to run a race towards the return of our King and Savior. But to do that, we need to understand what was done for each of you, what was done for me. The God of the universe sent his son down in human form to die for you to die for your sins because he loves you so much, that to me is, it it really is unbelievable. Like the thought that we have to believe that this all-powerful being that created us was willing to give us that kind of a sacrifice is mind-blowing. But when we run our race knowing that and believing that, Something stirs inside of me, and I hope it stirs inside of you. It's hope. It's hope. It's hope that no matter how difficult the last days get, no matter how hard it turns out, no matter how much people use you and abuse you and love money more than you and take advantage of you and hurt you, there's hope. Because you can look above it and see what you're running towards. Paul compares his ministry in the scripture to running this race. He says it in past tense. I have run the race. Paul's done. He's finished it. He's fought the good fight. Paul knows what his reward is. Paul, some people say this was around AD 65 and it would have put Paul around, I don't know, late 60s, early 70s. Paul's lived a long life and Paul has persevered. As a marathon runner, I know how hard it can be to persevere in a race, especially later in the race. There's this part in a marathon called the wall, and it's at mile 17 or so, depending upon how athletic you are. For me, it's 17. For other people, it might be 20. But you you hit this wall, and it takes everything you have to continue. 
You have to look above your circumstances. You have to look beyond the difficulty that you're facing. And you have to continue to fight the fight. And Paul says to Timothy, he has this charge of of how to continue, how to move through this difficult time. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. I'm going to go over these a little bit more in depth. But correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. And careful instruction, keep your head, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. I believe we all have a ministry. Just because you're not on the stage doesn't mean you don't have a ministry. Doesn't mean that God doesn't call you to be an evangelist and tell people about the good news. If you are running for that hope, you are actively seeking something that you know has eternal significance. And there are a lot of people that are missing that from their hearts. There's a lot of empty hearts out there that need that, and they need to be told. There's a lot of parables in the New Testament. I think about staying alert. There's a lot of things where, like in Luke 12, 36, Jesus says, be ready. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. Yes, that is true. Be ready. I think sometimes we don't know when we're going to be called to run uphill. If you don't train hills, you're not going to be very good at running hills. You're not going to be ready to run the hills. And sometimes we're going to hit hills in our our marathon race of life. And so I think it's important to train appropriately. Kids understand this concept of being ready more than adults do. I think when you talk to kids about what the end times mean and you tell them that Jesus could come back to reign forever, Kids are like, wait, what? And their imagination just takes them to a place where they can see this happening. Adults, after we've been on this earth for a while, our imaginations start to get, I feel like we have to break something to start using them again because we just haven't used them for a while. The, the wanderlust or the, the, the imagination of our minds has grown, grown cold Kids, you start talking about how Jesus could return and they're like, tell me more. You share revelation with them. They're like, whoa, their eyes are like huge because they can picture it. They can see it. And that's what I love about kids. And so kids, when they start their marathon, they're like, yes, I can see this. And even as we're in our youth, we start to become teens. There's this conflict between, well, everybody else is doing this but I'm supposed to run towards this. And it becomes a fight and it becomes a battle. I want to share a story about that that was shared recently at a kids conference by, um, by this woman who was, who was just so knowledgeable. And she talked about Peter. So Peter, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was with Jesus when Jesus was betrayed. And so these Roman soldiers come up and they are trying to They're going to arrest Jesus. And Peter has a view of Jesus that is not what Jesus was. He had a a view of Jesus as the conqueror, as the king who would come back and take the land with a sword. 
And so Peter pulls out his sword and he's gonna defend his king and he cuts off the ear of the Roman soldier. And Jesus in his upside down kingdom way picks up this ear and puts it back on the soldier's head and heals him. And Peter had no grid for that. I don't think Peter understood what was happening with that. And uh, when they came and asked Peter later, do you know Jesus? He was like, no, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is a conqueror. My Jesus is mighty. He's a warrior. He's a wielder of a sword, and he's going to come back and take this land. I've always read that passage thinking that Peter was ashamed, but I think Peter didn't understand He didn't have confidence in who Jesus was. He didn't know that Jesus was actually surrendering himself so that he could ultimately be victorious. And this this person at this conference said that our children today need to have confidence in that kind of Jesus. It's different than certainty. Peter was so certain that he knew what Jesus was, but then when everything came crashing down, he lost it and he changed. We need to have confidence in who Jesus is. And I think we need to teach the next generation how to have that confidence in the Lord. One thing that Jesus left us when he went up to heaven was the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna draw a lot of analogies from this marathon thing that I'm doing here. Uh, So there's these little packets that you can get when, you, when you're running a marathon and they're called goo packets. And sometimes if anybody's done any endurance sports, you know a little bit about sports nutrition. Well, these goo packets are full of this like syrupy, high octane, like 200 calories, tons of caffeine. And so when you're running your marathon, you've got about three or four of these in your, in your holster, right? Or whatever you want to call your running equipment stuff. And, and so you pull one out and you tear off the top and you hit one of these packets and it just sends you into the next level. You're like, woo, your eyes get wide, and you're ready to rock and roll, and you you feel like you could go another 10 miles. Now, I believe that that that's my analogy for the Holy Spirit. I feel like when we get tired, when, when life gets difficult, and we're hitting some difficult times in our life, it's like, man, I need the Holy Spirit right now. And we just, it's like, Pull that packet out and take a hit from that Holy Spirit, man, because that will get you to the next level. So part of Paul's charge to Timothy is to be prepared in season and out and to keep your head in all situations. It's easy to get distracted from your race. I'm trying to think of how many marathons I've done where I've seen somebody sitting on the curb on the side of the street. Like they've decided, they've paid all this money to run this race and they've gotten to a point where they don't wanna run anymore. They're just gonna sit down on the curb and just chill. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do it, but I think the enemy wants us to do that. The enemy wants to discourage us. The enemy wants to say, you know what? You don't need to keep running towards the return of Jesus. Why don't you run towards something else? Better yet, why don't you just relax? Why don't you plug into something that's going to make you feel good now? In fact, I think that there is more distractions today than ever before. There's more videos. There's more uh, electronics. There's there's just so much more to do that is vying for our attention. Marijuana is legal in states. I mean, like, I'm just thinking about things that 
there is to do that are not productive. They're not, we're not chasing after our Lord and Savior. And these options just keep becoming more and more and more available. Don't sit on the curb because you're not moving forward when you're sitting on the curb. Don't be complacent with the sacrifice that was made for you on Calvary. I think to sit down is also to say, Jesus, I appreciate what you did, but I'm, I'm just going to sit for a minute. So how do, we, how do we get up and how do we fight the good fight? Because this race is a fight. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. So this is the exciting part. This is where I get excited about. How do we get into action? How do we mobilize? How do we keep putting our feet one in front of another? How do we overcome adversity? Well, I think the power of prayer is the most important thing that I can mention first. Pray without ceasing, it says in the Bible. In 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Some of the translations that I I actually like a little bit better, it says so that there's power in your prayers. Be of sober mind so there's power in your prayers. You can hear all the word of God that you could ever hear. You could read the Bible every day, but until you get in touch with the power of prayer, until the Holy Spirit works inside of you and you start to see miracles and you start to see lives touched, only God can do that. And we need that today more than ever. It's not all about the stories. It's about the power. We're not running on a track I learned that lesson the hard way. I went to the men's retreat and uh, I thought I was gonna just wake up and go across the street and do a little Devil's Lake run and uh, I stopped paying attention. I thought I was on a track. I thought I could just run in circles and not look around and just zone out and I tripped and fell. And uh, it's probably hard to see now but I have some really bad scars. Uh, My hands were just bleeding like crazy, and I had to go to the rest of the men's retreat with these bloody hands, and it's so funny to see a bunch of dudes try to patch your hands up. (laughs) I'm like, bro, stop, please. (laughs) This is not working. This is not working. Um, But they tried, and that meant a lot to me, and so I don't want to discount that because they're probably in this service somewhere, and so I I really, really appreciate it. But we can injure ourselves when we're not paying attention and we're lackadaisically going through life one day at a time, checking the boxes. I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to go home and watch the rest of the series on Netflix. I'm going to check out, hang out with my friend, and then I'm going to go to bed and repeat. We are called for more. As believers in Christ, we are called to expect more and expect Jesus to return and change everything on its head. He is going to undo all the sinful things that have been done. Interpret your season. There's a book that we've been reading in City Changers, and it's called Pilgrim's Progress. And I know many of you are probably familiar with this book, but the main character, his name is Christian, and, uh, or her name is, for our, our soon-to-act-out skit that we're, I'm previewing a little bit. But Every chapter, I am amazed because Christian has this big burden on his back and he continues to walk forward and continues to fight the good fight because he believes that he is heading towards something of value. And in the book, it's the celestial city. 
Christians headed towards the celestial city, which is essentially heaven, and he continues to push, and, and so many things happen to him. It makes me think about the Boston Marathon. So in the Boston Marathon, there's this hill. I already kind of talked about the wall. Well, this hill is right when the wall happens in the Boston Marathon. It, it's what makes it one of the most challenging marathons in the U.S. Because in the beginning of the Boston Marathon, you're running downhill. It's actually from mile one to 10, it's a net downgrade. And it kind of reminds me like when we first find Jesus, a lot of times we're so excited. We're gonna change the world. And it's like we're running downhill because yeah, Jesus keeps doing the, oh look, another green light, that was Jesus. And, and our lives are so <laughs> blessed by Jesus. And, and so when we first get saved, and, and then all of a sudden, we realize we're in a race. And this is gonna, this is gonna take a little energy. And then, Heartbreak Hill. And Heartbreak Hill is actually the fourth in a series of hills. So you go over the first hill and it's kind of like, okay, that, that wasn't, this isn't the Christian walk that I remember in the beginning. I thought this was all easy and downhill. And then you hit the second hill and you're like, okay, God, you're there, right? Like, you're real, right? Then you hit the third hill and then you start to really struggle. And by the time you hit Heartbreak Hill, it's time that you get some help. So at this time, I'd like to introduce the City Changers. They're gonna come up here and they're gonna act out a little skit that shows, well, I'll just let you guys wait in suspense. Yep. Okay, so as Jason said, this is from the book Pilgrim's Progress. And this is a little scene we're acting out for you. Here we go. Little Christian was a young child who lived in the city of destruction along with the other children. Christian always thought there must be somewhere else better, safer, and happier to live than his city, her city, and occasionally heard from travelers coming through the city, traveler, coming through the city that there was a safe place. It was called the Celestial City and that in their city of destruction was very dangerous and they should all leave so very soon. They even gave Christian a book that talked about the city and about the king who lived there. But Christian could never figure out where the celestial city might be or how to get there. The other children of the city would laugh and make fun of the travelers and they would be mean and mock them. Little Christian, however, felt immediate pity for the travelers and started to ask the fellow children why they couldn't be nicer to the travelers and why shouldn't they listen to their advice and go to the celestial city at once. At this, the children would cruelly mock Christian. And it was around this time that Christian felt a heavy, heavy burden come onto her back that she could not get rid of, and it made her extremely sad, and she couldn't play very well because she was always hunched over and always trying to figure out where to go next. When her friends saw this, they would come up to her and say, Christian, why are you crying all the time? And Christian said, oh, it's because of the heavy burden that I bear. 
and they laughed at her and mocked her and they said, are you crazy? You don't have a burden. There's nothing on your shoulders. Because you see, they could not see. It was invisible to them and only Christians saw it and felt it and it made her very sad. So as the children played and laughed, Christian went by the riverside and at the riverside she was crying her eyes out and along came a traveler and he said, why are you crying child? Christian then told him of the heavy burden that she carried and how she wanted to go to the celestial city but didn't know the way or even if she would be let in. The traveler, who was named Evangelist, told the child, be of good cheer, and that he would show Christian the way to the celestial city and gave Christian the message that the king loves the little children and would watch over Christian on her journey and welcome her with joy as she entered his city. Evangelist pointed to the gate that Christian had to enter to start on her journey and waved goodbye to her and went on his way. So Christian slowly started the gate because of her heavy burden that weighed her down. But she did have a sliver of hope that maybe one day she'd be free of it when she really reached the celestial city. As she was creeping to the edge of town, two children named Obstinate and Pliable ran up to Christian and Obstinate teased, crying Christian is running away to her fantasy city. Christian defended and said, it is not a fantasy. It is a real place that is written about in this book that I have. Obstinate was going to start to make fun of Christian again for believing in such nonsense, but the child pliable said, hey, it might be true. Don't make fun of her. I am going to go with her and check it out. So Christian and pliable left Obstinate behind to journey to the gate towards the celestial city. So as they were walking, pliable asked Christian, what the city that is celestial is like and what is written about it that what would happen if they would get there. Christian told Pliable of a shimmering city of joy where they would get shiny new clothes for their old wrecked ones and that they would be welcomed by the king. But Pliable said, I haven't received a message from the king and she was concerned that they wouldn't get into the city at all. Christian assured Pliable that the king would certainly let Pliable in if she wanted to get there with all their heart and repented. Just then, Christian and Pliable sank into the gooey, sticky mud up to their necks. They had fallen into the swamp of despond. Christian yelled for help. Help! Pliable then yelled at Christian. Oh, it's this is your fault. Obstinate was right. You are foolish for believing that book with that fantasy city in it. And I am a fool for following you. I am going home. Pliable quickly climbed out of the swamp and ran back to the city of destruction, leaving Christian stuck in the swamp. Christian was so scared and thought that maybe she was a fool for thinking that she could get to the celestial city and she would be let in and her burden be lightened. But then... She thought of the message that Evangelist had given to her and shouted and with her hands raised up to the sky, I will persevere to the king. And with her hands raised to the sky, there was a servant that grabbed her hands, picked her up, and this servant's name was called Help. Help said, 
I heard from the king that I needed to come and help someone, and here I am, and there you are, and you are now safe. Let me show you. There are steps here in the swamp that you can step through and not fall in again. And just be careful. Stay on the path, and you will get to the celestial city. Christian thanked help so much for her rescue, and she went on her way journeying ever onward. Great job, City Changers. So the point of that was that Christian knew where he wanted to go, but he fell into the pit of despond, or as we all know, or could call it, despair. And along came help, who was sent by evangelist to pull him out. We need each other. Everyone is running their race, but community is so important for us to finish well. Paul had Timothy. Paul had his, his apostles and disciples that stood by him in the toughest, toughest of times. I think of um, a marathon analogy where you have these people that run and they have a sign in their hands. And so it's this stick that goes up and then it has a label on it that is usually a time. So for example, uh, one might say four hours. And so this person who's holding this is dedicated to running the marathon in four hours. And they call this person a pacer. And so this person's job is to run in four hours. So then there might be a three hour 45, there might be a three hour 40, might go down five minutes every time. But these guys do it for free, they volunteer, and you should see the crowds that are behind these pacers. Massive crowds. It's, it's actually somewhat dangerous to run behind a pacer because there's like 50 runners running behind this, si- this guy with the sign or girl with the sign. But it's awesome because it's easier to run when you're focusing on something that's right in front of you and you're with a group. You start talking together and you start encouraging one another because you're all running at the same speed. I think as a church, we need each other. We need connect groups that are running at the same speed that you're running at, that have the same interests that you have. If you love music, get involved with a group that loves music. If you like deep Bible study, find a group that is about the deep Bible study. If you just wanna have fun, I don't know, I like to have fun. There's groups out there for you too, I promise. Be intentional as we help each other. I think it's so important. I'm nearing my end, but I don't want to miss something. Lord, would you help me to pull the right thing from these notes? Grow the, oh, I want to talk about seasons real quick. I talked about seasons about going uphill and downhill, but America, the world, actually, rewards one season. How productive are you? How much do you get done? How much money do you make? How many kids do you have? Do you have a nuclear family that's successful? Have you been divorced? Are there things in your life that are holding you back? The world has this hierarchy of success that it wants to measure us by. And what happens is the world is actually running the opposite way that we're running. Jesus talks about this upside down kingdom. He surrendered himself and he's running a different race than the rest of the world. And sometimes it can be easy for us to judge somebody else's season. 
or compare ourselves to a season that somebody else is in. I happen to be in a season of pruning right now. And some people are not in a season of pruning. Some people are in a season of plenty and blessing. What about a season of rest? When was the last time you took a rest? There's seasons in our life, and we shouldn't be looking at each other's seasons and evaluating each other's seasons because we are all running our own race. We should be encouraging each other, just like help. Help didn't come and be like, hey, Christian, what'd you do that made you fall in there? He just came and he lended a hand. He was ready to pull him out. Embrace your call. Some of you are called to be Timothy's, and some of you are called to be Paul's. If you're called to be a Paul, and you don't yet have a Timothy, I encourage you to find one. If you're a Timothy and you don't yet have a Paul, seek one out. We need each other. Mentorship is so important. When I think about my Paul, I'd just like to throw a little credit out to Pastor Dave Bechtold. When I think about my Paul and the influence that he had on my life, it was profound. We need Pauls and Timothys. We need to mentor each other. We need to build each other up. And we need to encourage each other because you never know when somebody's going to fall. Can you imagine falling in something like that and being alone? If you are alone, find a Timothy or a Paul. Please, I beg you. They're everywhere. Look around. Get connected. We can do this together. Okay, lastly, Paul says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So when Paul ends his race, he receives the crown of righteousness. I'm going to jump right to James 1.12 because there's other crowns in the Bible. And this is the most exciting part for me is because there's, I like to get stuff when I finish something, you know, and, and so I get really into like this tangible crown theme. Bless it. So when you finish a marathon, you get a medal. It's kind of a cool thing. I don't know. Some people get really into it, and they have these racks with all the medals. That's me. But, um, <laughs> and people are like, whoa, you won all these races? And you're like, no, they just give everybody one of those. But <laughs> you still collect them, so it's kind of fun. Uh, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So Paul talks about the crown of righteousness, but there's also the crown of life. I also like in 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, which we know to be Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Paul talks about how runners, in the Bible, runners run to achieve a perishable crown. So they would get a crown with leaves that would eventually turn brown. But the crowns that you're running for and that I'm running for are never going to fade. Won't it be a great day when we get to celebrate with our crowns? And it won't be just because everybody gets one. You will have a specific crown for you. The Lord knows what you're going through and what you've gone through. Don't discount that. That's part of your race. The history of who you are, the struggles that you've overcome, that is what you use as your ministry. That's what the Lord wants to use in your life to make an impact in somebody else. If you've been through trials and hardships, I believe God will put you next to somebody that has been through those trials and hardships, and you can make a difference in their lives with his power. 
but at this time I want to give an analogy. Actually, I have two analogies. I'm going to do one that uh, I didn't do first service, so you guys are special. When I talked about the church, actually on Wednesday, I had all kinds of things this week, you guys. I had trunk or treat. I had kids chapel Wednesday. I had a midterm on Thursday, and somehow I made it. Yes, no, I'm not expecting a round of applause. Um, <laughs> so this, this was an analogy, and I'm not going to take it out, but this is what I used on Wednesday when I was talking to the kids in elementary school, because sometimes kids can really get the, the Jesus is coming back thing, but sometimes kids can be really mean to each other, too, uh, with their words and their, their habits and their friendships and their including and their excluding. And so I set up this Jenga And I said, imagine if we were all a block in this Jenga. And all of a sudden, somebody gets treated poorly. They get excluded. They get shamed. And they're part of the church. But you take that block out, and you set it off to the side. And then all of a sudden, it happens again. Somebody goes through a big mistake. Let's say their marriage falls apart. You take that block out, and you put it over to the side. Somebody can't control their addiction and somebody else finds out and it gets around in the church and you take that block out and you put it aside. Do you see where this is going? If you know anything about Jenga, if you take too many blocks out, it's going to collapse. We need to have grace for each other in our races. We need to have peace towards one another and we need to love each other like Jesus loved us. Because we are heading towards the same destination. And so, that is your bonus object lesson for today. Okay, now I'm going to close how I really wanted to close. So, in my very first marathon, it was the Minneapolis Marathon. Beautiful city. I love Minneapolis in so many ways. So I wasn't sure how to dress because it was in October, so it was this kind of weather. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear a long sleeve and pants, but I'll wear shorts underneath and I'll wear a short sleeve shirt underneath just in case. So I start running and by like mile five, I was just sweating. I'm like, this is so hot because I have the long sleeve shirt on and the pants on. And so I knew I needed to take them off. So I ran off to the side and I took these things off and I held them in my hands. And so part of me wanted to just like toss them to the side, but it's Lululemon. You can't do that. Um, I promise you I shopped the clearance rack. So I'm running and and I'm actually, I knew my parents, my family was going to be at a certain point in this marathon. So I would be able to unload this stuff. So I ran this race and I kept running this race slower than I would have run it without these things, right? Because I'm holding on to this, and it's, it's not very aerodynamic, and it's kind of awkward. They weigh different weights, and they're slowing me down. And I thought my parents were going to be around this one corner, and they weren't. They were in first service, so now I'm going to throw them under the bus. I didn't do it first service. <laughs> and so, and, and I don't think they're watching this, so just don't tell them, okay? <laughs> so... So I kept running and kept running. They were supposed to be at mile six. And like by mile 12, I'm like, where are they? But I didn't cast this aside. I should have. It made my first marathon kind of miserable because I'm holding on to these things. In Hebrews, Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, throw off 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which I think is like the audience in a marathon, the people that have gone before us are cheering us on. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you stand, please? You see, I believe this analogy of running and holding on to something and not letting it go because we're invested in it, because it's valuable to us, because we believe that there's something that we're going to miss, and it's slowing us down in our race, but we don't want to give it up. Would you hold your hands out? I want you to think of something in your life that could be holding you back from running your best race. It's funny, it may not be a habit or and, you know, an easily besetting sin. Sometimes we think that those are just things that we do on a daily basis that keep us from true intimacy with the Lord. Sometimes it can be something that happened in our past. Feelings of disqualification, of not being good enough. Feelings of shame. I believe the Lord is saying right now, drop Drop it. Drop it right in this church, right in this place, and let me take care of it for you. Leave it right at your feet and walk out of this place able to run faster. I believe he's saying, son, daughter, you, you used to be a 10-minute miler. After you drop what you're going to drop today, I'm taking you to the eight-minute mark. You're going to run two minutes a mile faster because you've left the thing that so easily besets you and is holding you back. Refine us, Lord. Refine us. Help us to let go of the things that we cling so tightly to. I pray for all my brothers and sisters today that they would leave this place and run the race eagerly expecting your return. In Jesus' name.